everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 23, Ask the Quote-Unquote Experts. <laughs> what? <laughs> For October 26th, 2011. This week, we have a, uh, a noob, a noob noob, noob 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 noob, even noobier than Aaron with us. So he's actually our first ever guest. And maybe even a listener spotlight, though I don't think he actually listens to the show. But after tonight, maybe he will. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> so we have with us Mr. Tom Little. Hello, Tom. Welcome to Everyday Linux. Hi. It's good to be here. So tell us a little bit about your noobishness. Okay. Well, I've uh, grown up using all kinds of Windows products and a little bit of Mac stuff. Um, but Linux has always been fascinating. <laughs> It's just now I finally decided I had enough time to actually get into it. All right. So uh, what are your experiences thus far? Hey, Mark, real quick first. I'm no, Aaron. I haven't called on you yet. I know. You skipped me. You skipped <laughs> me right it. over the intro you to our guest. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll shut up now. <laughs> because I know that what he's going to say next is that Aaron helped him out, and that was oh, the intro. Oh, sorry. Okay, let's start over. One, three, two, one. So, Go. Tom, tell us about your experiences thus far with Linux. Well, they've been mostly positive, and Aaron has been a big help. And that would be Aaron Butler, known as the former fat guy in our chat room and on the uh, on the uh, forums. Hello, Aaron. Welcome back. Hello, I am Aaron. I am back. <laughs> and I have us, broken the show already. <laughs> and with us, as always, also is the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going tonight? And the gooey kid, Seth Anderson, couldn't be with us this week. Um, frankly, he didn't have a very good excuse, so I don't even remember what it was. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think he's going to be out the next two weeks. So uh, we'll soldier on without our gooey kid. That means the command line godfather can run roughshod over the rest of us, and we will be helpless against him. <laughs> so Aaron, before we started, you were mentioning the fact that you were a little bit sore. Um, what's that? Did you uh, Did you stub your toe or something? Actually, yes, but that was a few weeks ago, uh, and that nail is totally black. But my other toe is a little black also because yesterday I and my friend Joshua Perkins, who just may be one of the people in the chat room out there if he's awake, uh, participated in the Tough Mudder in Virginia, which was a nine-mile, 25-plus uh, obstacle special forces designed challenge. They don't call it a race. It's a challenge, and it was a challenge. Um, you know what they had? You know, I, I learned something yesterday. I learned that Virginia is an Indian word for, oh, my Lord, there's lots of hills. And uh, <laughs> it's not really, but <laughs> that's Algonquin, that's right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amelia land of many rivers, <laughs> waters. But uh, it was it was at a ski resort, if that gives you an idea of what it was like. And it was down a hill, up a hill, down a hill, up a hill, down a hill. There was one I was showing Tom a little earlier on one of the fellow mutters mapped the race on some device. There was one hill we climbed that was 1.73 miles uphill, wow. straight up a hill. And uh, I'm a little sore. And what and, was only a quarter mile downhill, right? Yeah, no, no wasn't quite that bit. The hill downhill has actually hurt my knee worse because I've got a little you know, knee issue going on. Um, but lots of obstacles, climbing cargo nets and jumping into freezing cold water. And I know it was freezing because I saw the ready ice truck next to it and the front loader that was dumping the buckets of ice into the thing that we were jumping into. Uh, monkey bars, climbing over bales of hay, crawling under barbed wire, sliding down slip and slides into more freezing water. It's all kinds of So they of actually trucked in ice to make the water more miserable? Yeah, it was, it was 35 degrees as we drove up to the event. Um, and so we, we had about five places that we ended up in water, but they have one particular called the Chernobyl Jacuzzi, 
and they have a bunch of construction dumpsters lined up uh, with different colors of water in them. You get to pick your reactor one, reactor two, and uh, and it's you you come into one end of it long ways, and literally, like I said, they're dumping the ice in with a front end loader, and you jump in the water. Halfway across is a board that's almost touching the water uh, with barbed wire across the top, so you have to go, you have to have to duck your head underneath it to come out, and you got to crawl out the other side. And uh, they were nice enough to have the thermal blankets waiting for you on the other side of it, though, so that was a little helpful. But and, and the name of this uh, event is what? The Idiots on Parade yeah. Again? Was that what it is? Yes. No. <laughs> Called the Tough Mudder. A little play on words there. Um, what's really funny is kind of the second most well-known or kind of, kind of the other mud race that's out there. It's called the Warrior Dash, which does some similar type obstacles, but it's about three miles long. So we'd already done about four or five obstacles. We came down, I already went up one killer hill and back down and up again. We came around this corner. And there was a big sign that said, Warrior Dash. If you had signed up for that, you'd be through right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have a really good sense of humor all throughout the whole thing. There's, I mean, there's a big banner that says, remember you signed a death waiver. Uh, stay on the course, Velociraptor area. You know, just things like that. A real good sense of humor. You get your, your entry fee gets you a head, orange headband, which mine's drying right now. So I can wear it to work tomorrow. Uh, a t-shirt and one beer um, at the end. That's what they give you. They give you. They stick the headband on you, hand you the t-shirt, and you pick up your one beer. If you want more, you have to go pay for it. And then also you can get a free tattoo if you want tat- the Tough Mudder logo tattoo. It's not really free now. They they have so many people doing it that they you have to pay for the tattoo and you get a free entry to another race, basically. But uh, there was 9,000 people that did it the day I did it. And I don't wow. know how many did it the next day. How many finished? So, I don't know yet. They'll they'll put the stats out later. Um, usually, there's like a 78% completion rate is the average, I believe. I would think it'd be uh, a 78% attrition rate. Yeah, really. Yeah. But, yeah. So far, their goal is this year alone to raise three million dollars for the Wounded Warrior Foundation. They've raised 2.5 million so far. So that's their oh. that's their number one charity. So if you want, if you're interested in more, just Google Tough Mutter, Facebook Tough Mutter. There's all kinds of pictures on there. You can actually see me on one of the Facebook pictures. Me and Joshua pledging allegiance. At the beginning, or you can uh, go to YouTube and put in Tough Mudder. There's all kinds of videos on there of different things. So, wow, that makes my weekend sound really, really terrible because <laughs> I I went to a fall festival at my kid's school. That was, that was <laughs> that's what my wife did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's for the elderly and infirmed. That's what they do. That's how I felt afterwards. <laughs> Literally, my phone rang earlier, and I was like. Honey, grab that for me. I can't make it in time. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was my weekend. Drove, drove, drove up Friday, did the event Saturday, drove back today. Okay. It's quite fun. Chris, do you have anything to add to this merry band of misery? Well, nothing misery, though. I had my son's 11th birthday party this weekend. Oh, that man. was a whole lot of fun. <laughs> well, it could be if you got to play laser tag or something like that. Did you get to do anything exciting? No, like that? we're... That that might be next year. We we got a kind of a long drive to get to the nearest laser tag place. So, how many kids do you allow at your parties when your kids? Are um, well, it depends on which type of party it is. Like this time, we because he wanted to have an overnight with a couple with oh. a kid, we we limited them down. Um, but we've had parties before where there were twenty seven kids. Yeah. See, we have a rule at our house that it's one year, one guest per year of age plus one. So it's like the so if you when you're three, you can have four people over. When you're ten, you can have eleven people over, and that keeps it nice and manageable. Yeah. The Daniel's fourth birthday party, we had forty people at it. I think 
about 25 of those were kids and the rest were adults. That was quite a, quite a fun thing. At least his birthday is July 5th, so it was outside. Yeah, see, so, in, and in that equation, in our algorithm there, we don't count adults or siblings. So siblings oh, okay. count as one. But, yeah. So it, it helps, because I don't like having 27 four-year-olds running around. That's a bad thing. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so my first question is... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I like we haven't gotten to you yet, Tom. We, no, 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 no. I you. mean, no. you know, we're talking about settings and stuff for various computers here. Is everyone using a Linux machine to do this chat, or is it hmm. Windows machines, or... Uh, well, it's the, the, the ugly truth is Zero, that no. most of the work done on the Everyday Linux podcast is done on a Windows computer. Um, but at the moment, I am, in fact, uh, talking to you on a Linux machine, the camera, uh, the, the whole bit there. I'm reading my show notes. I'm, I'm broadcasting the stream on a Linux machine. But most of the time, I don't. Most of the time, it's a Windows machine. Uh, but I'm, I'm doing that because my Windows machine is currently out of commission. So I'm really <laughs> it's a hardware well, problem about though. this last week when you weren't here. My kids stepped on the power cable and broke it off. So uh, it's, it's not a, a software. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that it had windows on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, I'm currently on an XP box here. Tom is um, in the other room at my house using a Windows 7 box. My wife actually has my Linux box in the living room booted to Windows, but she says the battery's about dead, so it's actually booted to nothing. Uh, so, and Chris, I'm, Chris I'm sure you're using Linux, aren't Fedora you? With, uh, with GNOME 3, right? No, uh, <laughs> currently I'm running Linux Mint KDE edition. Okay. But I'm running into a weird issue with mine, and it's, it's been happening for the last couple of years, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to find out if I'm going to be in the same boat when the next round of distro releases are in the, in the pipe or not. Well, so speaking of between dist- the forest, we're two for two. That's not too bad. <laughs> That's better than the ratio in the real world. <laughs> uh, way better. Yeah, I, the last the last thing I saw was just this week. I forget the organization that put out the numbers, but it was one point one one percent, one point eleven percent of desktop uh, de- deployments are Linux. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty small. But thanks to this show, it's going to jump by point zero 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 one percent. So uh, let's hope. Tom, what what? Uh, what brought you to Linux? Why did you decide to give it a try? Actually, it was the first show I listened in on that uh, Aaron told me about. All right. And uh, I thought, you know what? I- I'm going to try and build a Linux box. So I did. I had an old AMD 64-bit uh, 3K chip. And uh, I had a couple hard drives laying around, so I put, uh, well, Ubuntu, Fedora, and uh, what's the other one? And Mint. <laughs> and I have a whole bunch of questions for each. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so clearly, uh, you are the type of guy who thinks the Apollo moon landings were faked, and that the government <laughs> is putting secret chemicals in your drinking water, because those Absolutely. are the only people, kind of people who use Linux. Right. Yes, and I did forget my tinfoil hat tonight. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. I think Aaron has lined uh, his living room with chicken wire, so that's, yes. that's good. <laughs> all right. Okay. Yeah, make a nice Faraday cage, yeah. Well, you clearly sound like you're a tech professional. What do you do for a living? I'm actually an aircraft mechanic for Delta Airlines. Okay. How technical is that job? I assume quite. Uh, very much so, yeah. Yes. I work with uh, composite bonding and aluminum bonding, uh, control surfaces and... You know, things like that. Lighter, well, faster, stronger. Mark, as, as for one of Tom's hobbies, he's 
he's uh, built some guitars um, from scratch out of was it is it graphite? Not Carbon. graphite. Carbon uh, fiber. Well, no. Carbon fiber, right. Graphite's the next stage up in the uh, production of that type of material. I would think that has very good resonance. Uh, is that you would absolutely be shocked at how good it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an old, you know, twenty-five or thirty-year-old Gibson because it's it's so dense right off the bat that it it resonates perfectly and always keeps the same tone. How about the sustain? Uh, amazing, because you're not losing anything <laughs> in the flex of the of the body. You could go and have a sandwich and still be here. That one. Go out for a bite and come back and hear that one still going. Yeah, it's, well, it's pretty incredible. I, it's like Tom's saying the uh, it, the wood, you know, in a wood guitar, the wood ages and the tone can change for better or for worse. With this, and when it's built, it's built and it's going to sound that good forever. You know, even <laughs> if your son leaves it outside in the driveway. And it's only nine thousand dollars per guitar, right? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> the material is a little high right now. But that anyway, that, that I just threw that in there as a kind of a side note. Um, and he's also, I'm not afraid to say, a master craftsman of several several types. He built his own house, and he's helped me on a couple of projects and that kind of stuff. So Tom knows his stuff about everything but Linux, and we're going to fill it in and round him out as a person tonight. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, we can try. I think that goes to the mindset of most Linux users. They're tinkerers by nature. Yeah. Those who want to buy a toaster and always put bread in and get toast out, they want a Mac or, or you know, to a lesser extent, Windows. Those who want to uh, get a blowtorch and toast their own wheat <laughs> that they then roll and make bread, that that's the the people who do Linux. And it sounds like Tom fits right in, in with that vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cool. Uh, that's an apt description. Okay. Welcome to the fold, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, do you like what you see so far? I love what I see so far. Uh, I have had a few technical glitches that I've worked through, but um, there are some things that, because I grew up with like DOS and Windows, that I'm so ingrained and my OCD prevents me from learning the proper way to do something in Linux, which is a couple of the questions I have. Okay. Well, uh, fire away. We we will, in no particular order, answer your questions or make crap up, one of the two. Okay, very good. Very good. Uh, my first question is, um, like I said, because I've been with Windows for so long, and Mac, like I said, to a degree, uh, which interface do you guys like, KDE or no? That is the subject of much debate right now. <laughs> it is. In fact, the subject of like three of our recent shows. Um, oh. Uh, the well, uh, Chris can probably talk to this a little better because he's the expert on it. But my short answer is none of the new ones. <laughs> okay, Chris, could you elaborate, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll sum it up pretty well uh, as best I can. Let's put it this way: um, the KDE is more in the Windows vein than, say, GNOME, GNOME, GNOME two, GNOME three, or Unity. Um, it has the traditional start bar, the task manager, desktop switcher, and clock and status or uh, sys bar. Uh, it's probably, in my opinion, uh, more configurable than any of the other distrib- than any, any of the other desktop environments. It is incredibly um, configurable. Yes, it's it's 
Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart because the, especially with the new plasmoids that they've been releasing and this new thing that I've been playing with called activities. Um, I never used activities before with KDE and I found myself starting to use them a little more often. So when I get that under my thumb a little bit more, I'll, I'll be able to, to talk more about that. Um, since you've used the newer versions of the Linux installs, you've probably used GNOME 3 and or Unity. Um, those are for, they're really cut down. I like to think of them as like a Fisher-Price interface because it is so <laughs> restricted. Um, you have your bar that you can add things to, a little bit of thick fluff on the top, but everything else stays pretty much the same no matter what you want to do to it. Um, they've, they've, uh, mainly because they're so new, uh, they're holding back the configurability for right now. Well, and let me jump in here. That is good for the appliance people. And most of the Linux, oh, yeah. the major Linux distributions right now are going after the appliance people. So they want that. But the, the make your own guitar out of graphite or uh, of carbon fiber t- people want to tweak things. And so yes. it's, it's a, it's a thing where, um, Ubuntu and, uh, Fedora and these guys who, have a vested interest, a monetary interest, in expanding their base, are shooting for a target demographic that alienates their existing user base. And that's, oh, or a portion, that's, or a portion of them. Right. And so that's why there's sort of a, a kerfuffle right now in the Linux community. Uh, most of us don't like GNOME 3. None of us like Unity. Uh, and they are getting better so, you know, in incrementally. They're polishing those things, and hopefully they'll get to a point where they, where everybody can be happy, where we can have the configurability of, say, KDE, but the ease of use of Unity. Okay. Um, and now, uh, can I continue on that? Because I, I want to sure. touch on one more thing. Um, just recently, the, the Canonical people dropped uh, 11.10, and while it is just a polishing of 11.04, the new the fixes they've put on Unity make it usable now. Um, when I first was just, playing with 11.04, it was crashing all over the place. Let me um, jump in. And now, I believe Tom is running 11.10, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, I just went from 11.04 to 11.10. Just okay. as a You're early benchmark. adopter for sure there. <sighs> now, did, did you notice a difference in the Unity interface when you went from 11.04 to 11.10? Did it seem a little more crisp? Uh, no, no, actually, because I'm having graphics issues. Uh, I didn't have any graphics issues at all with 1104. Uh, I am running an NVIDIA card, uh, Pony, and I can't recall what it is right now. But um, when I went to 1110, I couldn't get better than uh, was that 1024 by 768 resolution on a 20-inch monitor. Yep. And But on 1104, I didn't have any resolution issues at all. Okay. That is your driver issues. Um, that's the same issue I had with 11.04 in Unity. Um, I'm also having it with my uh, my work machine is running um, Kubuntu 11.10. It's the newest of the you know of the Kubuntu versions, um, and I had the same issue. I cannot install the new the driver pack for my Nvidia card at work, and it's a Quanto 4200 or something like that. I can't think of the model number, but it's with 11.04 Kubuntu, it was running perfectly and beautifully with the NVIDIA drivers installed. 
I clean installed the 1110 and I can't get the NVIDIA drivers to install correctly. They install partially. And if you look under, um, if you go on your Unity menu and type in driver, you get that driver agent thing where you can install the third party drivers. Right. In my instance, in my instance, the little thing that's, that, you know, tells you if it's active or not, if you have it installed. Right. Mine says installed, but not active. Hmm. Kind of like our president. And, and, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow. That's so a that, slap. Uh, Thank that's you very much. The reason we hear all I, week. As I mentioned earlier, I uh, my primary laptop I run Windows on, it's for that reason. The the drivers haven't caught up to it yet. Yep. And and my advice to people who are just getting into uh Unix uh Linux distributions is for example, Ubuntu releases in April and November every year. I don't install until August or March. <laughs> that's, oh. you know, uh, that's just generally, uh, they release them because the clock says they have to release them, not necessarily because they're ready. So are yeah, we yeah. suggesting to Tom then to go ahead and wipe that box out and put 11.04 back on it and don't do the 11.10? Uh, no, I wouldn't to Tom because Tom's a tinkerer. And so Tom is going to be tolerant of and maybe even excited about glitches that he can tinker with and try to figure out. But, to learn, yeah, yeah. To, you know, to get into the terminal and stuff. But Tom's mom, no, she should not have eleven dot ten. <laughs> she shouldn't have Linux at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh no, no, I'd say I'm she just, could, as long know. as it's one of those rolling releases or uh, a long term release. Right, and and that's a bit of news that I was going to mention uh, in the warm up part of the show. Uh, uh, Ubuntu has said that their long term releases now are going to be five year support instead of three. So twelve dot oh four when it comes out, is going to have five years of support. So wow. that's, a, that's a good thing. That means that you can hang on to things longer, and they will continue to be upgraded and get better. Yep. Okay, so this, this whole process of releases is new to me. Uh, I've been going to DistroWatch to download the Linux that I would like to use. Uh, I had no idea that they... It, well, it seemed to me like there's a release every week that somebody's pushing something out there. Um, oh yeah, I would say there's 50 releases every week because there's so <laughs> many different versions of Linux. But uh, the big boys, uh, Red Hat, Fedora, uh, and Debian-based releases tend to be either six month or nine months. It's is the way they go. Uh, Fedora is nine months, right, Chris? Yep. Uh, unless unless there's been pushback for bug fixes or whatever. And I think Red they, Hat is debating as to whether or not they're going to be six or nine. I think they're six right now, but wanting to go to nine. Or maybe it's the other it, way around. Yeah, something like that. And then there's also been some kerfuffle about maybe changing um, the Red Hat into a rolling. Okay. Um, Which uh, is... Uh, you know, like... Um, I can't think of it. Is Arch. It, yeah. That's more like Arch. Rolling release. But a, a, hate, a held back Arch. So it's it's in there still. their stable cores. But they can actually... can they don't. There's not going to be like Red Hat 6. Any, you know, Red Hat 7. No, right. I'm just saying what I've heard, but that's not what's going to happen yet. Now, uh, Fedora and Red Hat have a a unique, well, not unique, but uh, a special relationship in that Fedora is the experimental part, and once they get all the bugs worked out, they roll it into uh, RHEL, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and that may go years without updates. Like uh, Enterprise Linux 4 to Enterprise Linux 5, which I think 26 months or something. So they just do that when it's ready. Yep. Okay. 
but the developmental releases will go very quickly, which means you get all the new stuff, but you also get all the new bugs. So if Tom's right. on 11.10 uh, right now, he shouldn't expect another real Ubuntu release until 12.04, um, other than fixes. Right. They may be rolled it automatically. Right. 12.04 will be the next one, and then that's the one you should hang on to for a while, because that's the, the long-term stable one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Unless you want to play. Well, <laughs> uh, getting into the play, I found something called Ubuntu uh, Studio. Okay. Which uh, I could, I haven't been able to get it to install yet. I'm having hard drive issues with it uh, for some reason. But is that worth? It's eleven oh four. But is that worth playing with? Or have you guys ever used that? Um, well, it depends on what you're looking to use it for. Um, the studio version is just customized packages and a customized interface on top of Ubuntu already. So, like, if you are already in Ubuntu, you can just open up your software center, search for Ubuntu Studio, and install all the packages that are there. Oh, okay. Instead of doing a fresh install. Right. And Will I that think- work even though he's actually got... 11.10 installed, and he's looking at 11. Is there 11.10 studio out there? I'm sure there is. Okay. If it isn't out yet, it will be shortly because they're usually a couple, at least a month behind the, the official release. And right. the one that Chris said he was using, Linux Mint, is that same thing. They take uh, Ubuntu, and Ubuntu is built on Debian. So Debian is the grandfather of all these things. And then uh, Ubuntu takes what Debian does, adds their. Uh, gloss to it, releases that, then other things take Ubuntu, add their stuff to it, or in some cases take things away, and then mm-hmm. release that. So uh, when I said the big three, there was a reason for that. The The primary three mainline distributions at this point are Debian, Red Hat, and uh, uh, SUSE, uh, OpenSUSE, SUSE, whichever. Uh, those are kind of the big three, and there are uh, hundreds of derivations of those. Ubuntu... Yep is the biggest derivation of Debian. And in fact, it's actually more installed than Debian. It, it has surpassed its predecessor, but it still relies on Debian. Uh, when, when Debian releases, that's when Ubuntu gets fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, the one thing I did notice between the three installs that I did, like I said, it was uh, Fedora, Mint, and uh, Ubuntu. Is all the installs look pretty much the same? It's because I, they're all the same installer. The, the what is it, Chris? Quick. Oh, <laughs> Anaconda's the Red Hat one. What's yep, the, Anaconda's the Red Python. Hat. I can't. I don't know what the Debian one is. I don't remember anymore. But they all use the same installer, more or less. I gotcha. Okay. They skin it uh, differently usually. Well, that was the only difference was just the background colors and such. But uh, they all pretty much installed the same. So. Yep. Um, which Sarge. Sarge, is that what it's called? A code name no, Sarge. That's, that was that's one of the, the first Debian. That's one of the distributions. Oh, Ubuntu. Yeah, that's, Debian Sarge. Yeah. Okay, I'm making a release. <laughs> your, your Googling powers are weak, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I just typed okay. what you said. <laughs> well, uh, my next question, and it all goes back to my OCD, because I do have a little bit of that, is file management. And the differences between a Windows machine and a Linux machine. There is no C. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's file <laughs> system, I believe they call it. It's just system, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I, and this may be a disease, but I like to keep my hard drive somewhat organized. <laughs> if this is a disease, sneeze on me. <laughs> <laughs> is there a file management system out there that uh, that you can add directories and? kind of move things into to make it look pretty or is that do i need to just stop thinking like that well where where you want to look is your home directory that is yeah. your directory to do whatever you want to with you can uh you have documents and and music and pictures those things there, just like you're used to seeing in the windows world and so you can do anything you want in there um so the 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 root directory the slash would be in the windows world equivalent to like the win32 system32 directories you you kind of mm-hmm. want to leave those alone yeah the home directory is where you want to do stuff and you can do whatever you want to rename make uh new things do whatever you want there uh that's the user land but the rest of it is all behind the scenes stuff and if you rename uh var to something else you will break many many things okay well we don't want to just that. the show um is there a program that you guys uh the name of it that's like the old file manager or uh windows explorer is there anything like that did you know no in gnome no there really is or i guess it would be nautilus is what the program is called um in you in unity it would be the little folder icon on the, we on the side there and that that's going to be Similar to the the My Computer dialog that you're used to looking at, the Windows yes. Explorer dialog. Yeah, Tom and I, when we were looking at this the other day, we were playing around with it and noticed kind of a strange thing in that um, you can right-click on a folder in the main window and hit copy, but you can't go over to the left in the folder list on the left and right-click and hit paste. You actually have to... Ha- you can only click copy and paste folders in the right-hand, in the main window on the right. So like using... Uh, Windows Explorer, you know, you've got your nav- your tree on the left and then your folder structure on the right. And you can drag and drop and copy and paste uh, interchangeably between the two. We w- He would right-click on a folder of music that he was trying to organize and say copy, and then he'd go over to the left in the folder he wanted to put it on and right-click, and it would give him a list of open, go to, save, you know, but there was no paste. So we had to actually paste all within the right window. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, most Linux file managers are weird about that sort of stuff. Like you, there's no right click and drag to copy. You have to right. right click, copy, go over to where you want and paste. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's Windows is weird that you can right click and drag. So it's, <laughs> it, it's just a design difference that somebody made one choice one way and another choice the other. But I, I agree that coming from the Windows world, those little nuances get a little annoying. Like, uh, in Windows, you two slow clicks to rename. Can't do that in Linux. And I do that a thousand times a week. Slow click a folder to rename it and it doesn't work. And so I have to hit F2, which by the yeah. way is how you do it. I said, it. will F2 work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See now, and I'll add something to that for your file management that you're trying to work with. Uh, you're used to the file explorer. The next time you open up Nautilus, hit F3. And what you'll get is you'll get two panes. So in that one window, you'll have one side is one is where you're at in the file tree, and the left side is where you want to put things. So you can drag and drop between those two, ah. and it's in the same window. 
and I use I that you. all the time. That's a new one on me. Thank you, Chris. Hey, uh, Tom, there's yeah. a pen above you there in the desk if you need a pen to write in this desk. I've been writing things down, so okay. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and, and That's the great. F3 thing will work in tests. both KDE or GNOME, or any file manager as far as I know. That's okay. great. Well, I'll be downloading Nautilus when I get back. Well, you don't you have to download have it. it. It's there. It's it's. Oh, it's already in. It's, okay. it's part of GNOME. GNOME, the the file explorer in GNOME is called Nautilus. Okay. Um. Okay. Back to uh, a formatting question between Windows and Linux. Um. There is a file system, but uh, it, it's not like NTSF or uh, FAT32 or anything like that, right? It's right. It's uh, what is it, and how can it still communicate with Windows? Most commonly, that's going to be EXT two, three, or four. Uh, probably four if you just down just worked on things. EXT is uh is stands for extended. It's the extended file system, um, and that's that's what Linux has used. But you, there are there are lots of others. There's Riser and there's ButterFS and ZFS. But most of the time, probably what you're working with is EXT. Three or four. Um, okay. Now, Windows uses NTFS most of the time, or FAT, or even FAT32. Um, Linux natively, almost all versions natively read and write to NTFS. Windows natively reads and writes to Windows. So that's just the way it is. You you can't you can't go the other way. the The way you have to do that is to do uh, use what's called Samba which mimics a Windows file share. Mm -hmm. And then you can communicate, even if it's on the same, like partitions on the same computer, you sometimes have to share it to even work within the same computer. But that's the, the issue is in Windows, they've just chosen not to support EXT3 or Riser or Butter. Or those yeah, I, I, I noticed that. I could look at files on a Windows machine, but I couldn't go to Windows machine and look on the Linux. Right. right. So, so would you encourage Tom, maybe if he had some MP3 files he wanted to be able to share between both, to make a partition or a, our drive and drop uh, all those MP3s in there and then get an NTFS and then get to those from Linux using Samba, and then, of course, Windows can read them because of NTFS? Is that what you typically would do? Yeah, if you're talking about a dual boot scenario, uh, yeah, just keep everything on an NTFS partition. You're going to have to have that for Windows to run anyway and just, right. just map that. Uh, make a shortcut on your desktop in Linux to that, and it'll read and write flawlessly. Yep. Okay, good. I'll try that when I get home, too. <laughs> um, file extensions, uh, like .mp3 <laughs> and things like that, uh, is that another thing that people run into? File extensions are completely arbitrary and not even necessary in Linux. Yep. A, mm. a file can be named anything. Kind of like a toupee. Right. Uh, the 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 only convention is hidden files in Linux start with the dot, so it's dot whatever, uh, and file managers will hide those. Like in Windows, it's the hidden attribute. You have to attribs dash h in the command line. Um, in Windows, you or in Linux, you just start it with a dot, the name with a dot. Anything else goes. Anything. Okay. Um. So it, it now, natively knows what the file is based upon the architecture of the file. Doesn't really right. care. It what actually you're doing looks it. at the file, reads the contents of the file, and decides what it's going to do with it based on that. Right. I got gotcha. you. Which all the applications do that in Windows? Well, the 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 one thing I did run into 
was I was uh, trying to put a wireless card uh, in my Ubuntu machine. Oh, you're putting your head back in (laughs) consternation there. (laughs) But they had a Linux driver with it, and when I tried to put it in the machine, it it didn't really have an install file per se. Uh, And I had to get into the terminal, and I gummed it all up, so I just gave up on that (laughs) until I learned a little more. (laughs) Was it a bin file? There was a bin file in there. But I did not okay. click on that. That's the one I should have went to. That's going to be binary file. That's going to be your executable most of the time. But yep. the, the hidden trick is, the secret handshake, is you have to tell it it can be executed. Um, in Linux oh. file systems, things by default are not executable, almost, uh, pretty much across the board. Whereas in Windows, everything is executable. So it's, it's just a decision made uh, in the design phase. So you have to right-click on it, go to Properties, and check the Execute bit. That tells Windows it's okay to execute this. I mean, yep. it tells Linux. Okay. And I well, I noticed on one file that it actually popped up a window and had a run command. Um, run or run I, in terminal? Yes. Okay. And I tried to do that, and it crashed the machine. <laughs> that means you were launching essentially a batch file. You were launching a script yep. of some kind, and it wanted to know if you wanted to see the command line or just go. Okay. Oof. Well, there's a lot to pick up here. <laughs> well, and we and you haven't even touched the command line yet, and that's where that bin file will probably need to. You probably need to go there to, in order to install it. If I were to just reach and guess, I'm actually so surprised. It probably. Do you know what what card it was? Mm, no, I can't think of the number right now. It was just well, some cheapy a, I got. Well, let's say, well, I hack your credit card statement, Tom, and find out what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it new? It's something you just uh, bought? Uh, no, it's a couple of years old. Okay. So uh, how would... gonna be su- I'm surprised it wouldn't be supported out of the box then. Because almost, unless well, it's of the um, Broadcom chip range, it, most of them are supported out of the box now. Or Atheros. Yeah. Mm. So, Chris, what would you do when you, when you got home? See, I know what I would do if I opened up a, a, in the Windows world, if I opened up a... a Wireless card was going to put it. Is it USB, Tom? By the way, or is it was it actually a PCI or PCI? Yeah, it's a PCI list? card. Okay. So, what would you do, Chris? How would you step me through it step by step? I'm I'm home now and I have my box. I've cut the cellophane. I've opened it up. I've stuck the card in. The machine's off. I boot the machine up. What do I do? Usually, that's where it stops. <laughs> With Linux, you're done. Yeah. Generally, it just recognizes yeah, it. Usually. Okay. And if it doesn't recognize the driver, and I have to actually take the CD and put it in my machine, then what am I going to do? Well, you wouldn't if it's a Linux-based card. You'd have to find out um, what I would. The first thing I do before I installed the thing was to check the model number on Google. Um, you should be able to find a model number and a version number on the card, and then you, if you Googled that with whatever version of Linux you're running, you should be able to find out then if it's if it's natively supported, or if you're going to have to run a bin file or the uh, firmware cutter for. Uh, Broadcom. All right, so he would just take and just Google Ubuntu uh, 10.11.10 and then the name of and the serial number or the model number of the card and see what pops up. That would be the first thing I would do. Um, the second thing I would do is is maybe pop into the IRC room or over to the Ubuntu forums and put up that information as well or search there. Um, 
because Google may not pull it because I've seen that a couple of times or um, for some reason Canonical had it hidden behind a, a login page. You couldn't actually get down to where that particular link was unless you logged in. And I don't know if that's just because of my machine or if that was Google it's, or Canonical stopping Google. It's, uh, very, so it's very unusual in the Linux world to have to go get a driver. For the most yep. part, things either work or don't work. Now there are the times record, when you have the to go record, compile. I did tell Tom that. Right. For, there are times <laughs> when you have to go compile a driver or whatever, but that those are the fringe cases. So most mm. of the time, if your driver is going to work, if your device is going to work, you're going to plug it in and, it and it works. If you plug it in and it doesn't work, you try to tape the cellophane back and take it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What about uh, uh, motherboard drivers and such, like uh, like built on sound cards, built on video devices? Same thing. Oh. Most of the time, Linux will just recognize it, and you go. And if it doesn't, you're going to spend more time fixing it than it's worth. I got gotcha. you. Or okay. it may come down in a, a, a download fix, too. Like, uh, for example, my wife, my webcam on my laptop, you know, I downloaded a, an update, and it fixed it. What was wrong with it before, Chris? I was upside down. Matter of fact, yes, I you can were. mimic it right now. See, that's how that's he was for the was first like. ten shows. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah, uh, w- yeah. But the card worked; it just didn't work optimally. And and yeah. you do yep. run into that, uh, sad to say, too often, where the the, the hardware works minimally. Uh, on this laptop I'm on right now, uh, the wireless card works, but I'm lucky if I get one megabit out of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just. It works. It's just poor. Okay. Uh, as a Windows user, I would know if I wanted to know if my card was working. I could either, whatever way I wanted to do it, I could man- I could navigate to Device Manager and see a list of that device and see, oh, it says exclamation point, my driver failed, or it's not working, or it is working. Or I could go to Network Neighborhood or my network places and go in there to my network devices and see it. You know that there's that video, there's that Wi-Fi card I installed and it's working. How will Tom know if it's working or not working, and what can he look at? Yeah, is there something like a device damager in Linux? Not really. Um, in Unity, let's see, up by the clock, there should be a little, what looks like a network connection mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you click on that, you should be able to see if the card is recognized or not, because you'll see a, um, obviously a hard line, um, ET, what is it, ETHO. For your hard line, and then probably WLAN for wireless, or you know, it could be depending on the distribution. It could be a little bit different from that. Okay. But if you see both, if you see both a the the Ethernet zero and then WLAN zero, then you know both cards have been recognized, and you just need to attach to the uh, uh, the whatever Wi-Fi you're trying to get to. So how would he configure that then? Like I said, again, I would know how to go in and right-click, configure wireless network, and have a place to put in my WPA or whatever I need to do. Where would he get to that in Linux? Right there. Just right click there on, that, that on that device? Because, yeah, when you, when you click on it, it'll then ask you, um, you know, do you want to scan for networks? Do you want to, if you want to hand code the, the network, you can add a network. Like if it's a non-broadcast SSID, there's a button there to add network, and then you can type in all the information you need to. 
Because that's one thing I haven't been able to experiment with because my video, my Wi-Fi card and my laptop happened to be one that was not supported. <laughs> and I ended up putting that laptop at my desk and wiring it and just haven't messed with it. So um, I wasn't able to really help him on that one. All right. Next one. Okay. Question wow, to the next. just answered like three questions in that one thing. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, and some of those answers may even be true. It's up to you to figure out which. <laughs> I'll be checking them out when I get back tonight. Um, okay. Where are some other places I can go to get uh, Linux software other than the Ubuntu store? Um, is there places you guys go that, you know, doesn't come with the package, install package that uh, has programs that are, like, necessary to have? SourceForge is a good place to look. Okay. I guess the better question would be is what type of programs you're looking for? Um, because the software center covers most of them out of the box. Um, if you're looking for like, um, well, no, my, my Kurt, my remote control program that I use is in the software center now. Uh, maybe like media codex. Is that one of the things you're looking for? Like your uh, MP3 players? Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, for using like flack files and cause I noticed that a couple of the uh, MP3 player or music players I downloaded couldn't do FLAC files. FLAC should be supported out of the box. I'm surprised that they're not. What you could do is if you look up Media Ubuntu for for that particular, since you're a Linux or a Ubuntu clinic or clinic Ubuntu user, um, there's a thing called Media Ubuntu. Um, I could probably find the links really quick too. Um, but they actually give you a command to copy and paste into a terminal, which puts their uh, what's called a repository into the software center. Mm-hmm. Once it's in the software center, then you can install like the lame encoder for MP3s, the Windows uh, what is it Windows Movie File MVM right. or WMV files. Linux right. doesn't do those out of the box. Um, with that, with those codecs installed, then you'd be able to play with, you'd be able to open those up and listen to them like you're supposed to. Okay. And just to, uh, to give you a little bit of, of philosophy behind why that is, there's, there's this big argument in the Linux world between the free and the non-free. There's the free that is open and unencumbered and you can do whatever you want with it. And then there's the free that doesn't cost anything, but there are still restrictions to it. So some things are free, like Flash is free. You don't have to pay for it, but you can't do whatever you want with it. You can't redistribute it. The only place to get it is through uh, Adobe. So there are times when you have to do what Chris is talking about. You have to add a source. So you can go into your uh, in your settings and you can check sources. You can check third-party sources. You can check the multiverse in the, in the Ubuntu world. And that says, all right, go to get these things that aren't necessarily free and open, so they didn't come with Ubuntu, but they're available at no cost. So that's okay. like opening the world to your software center. So when you say, where do you, where should you go beside the software center? Most of the time, nowhere. But you just sometimes have to point software center at different places. Yeah, I gotcha. And, and Fedora is going to be a lot harder because Fedora is fundamentally going to tell you that, no, you cannot put non-free software on it because they are of that type of people that are the type of distribution that they want to keep everything free as in, you know, open or free and not 
Freedom free speech. as in freedom speech, not free as in free beer. Gotcha. Um, is there ever anything that I, as a novice Linux user, have to worry about as far as cringing on or infringing on somebody's software patents or because I, I know there's some, um, and I can't think of the word right now, but the NVIDIA drivers were one. They were, um, you could use them, but they were not, f- and they were free, but there were some restrictions. Right. They're, they're what you call restricted drivers, meaning the, that, that right. Ubuntu can't distribute those. You have to go to NVIDIA to get them. That's what it means by restricted drivers. So they're restricted in the sense that you can only get them from NVIDIA. So Ubuntu has uh, made a, a really good way to go around that. When you first install it, it checks. It says, oh, I see you have these drivers. Do you want to go get them? We couldn't give them to you. They're restricted, but you're free to go get them. <laughs> now, to answer your question, there are hackers who use Linux and like to do things that are not entirely legal. Uh, yep. So, for example, the uh, Live CSS DVD codec, or not codec, but library that allows you to break the CSS encryption on DVD so that you can copy them is technically not legal. So if you're watching a DVD on Linux, by the letter of the law, you're a felon. <laughs> Depends how many you watch. There, that's <laughs> you gotta watch well, 10 to get the price up over 250 Then you're... <laughs> but there, there is places that will sell you the codec to open DVDs. Right, and then um, you've got to buy like the DivX codec. You got to buy that yep. separately, and the XVID codec. You got to buy that separately. Um, so, the, and those are in the software center. You can do that. I, what is it? Uh, uh, I forget the name of it, but there's a there's a package you can buy in the Ubuntu store that it, it's an F word that covers Fluendo. The Fluendo codecs. Oh, I, will saw, give I you, saw those guys. Yeah, they'll give you all your MP3 stuff and all your movie stuff, and it's not much. It's twenty bucks, I think. Uh, but there are lots of ways to do it without paying anybody anything. And yes, to answer your question, they're not legal. Okay, that's the stuff I want to avoid. Yeah, so. you know, the FBI is probably not going to send a task force to break down your door. But you need to know that you know if you make certain choices, you're you're dancing on the gray side of things. Right. Uh, okay, so that leads me to another question. If because I know Fluendo has a charge. Um, can you and they will install that software is there a way to back that up like on a disk so if you do upgrade or do a fresh install that you don't have to pay for that thing again anything you buy through the ubuntu one store is backed up on their servers and anytime you install ubuntu again it's there and oh, the, it's okay. like an amazon kindle or yep. something like that because Very you have nice. to give the ubuntu one store uh, credentials and so then that's how they store everything for you. If you buy games or music or anything through the Ubuntu store, that's how they keep it. It's like apps on an iPad. It's the same thing. They're associated with your account, and they go with your account wherever you go. Okay. It's not like a, an antivirus program where you have to pay like the $20 every year. It's just one one fee, and then you're good. Well, that depends on the licensing that the, the people set up. But in the case of the Fluendo Codex, no. Okay. But there may be things in the store that are set up that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Aaron actually answered this question last week, but uh, just to touch on it again, with Linux, you don't recommend an antivirus or? 
Nope. No, nobody's writing viruses for Linux right now. Well, it's very, very, very hard to infect a Linux machine because of some of the things we've already talked about. Uh, binaries, by definition, by default, aren't executable. So you can infect something, but then you've got to trick the user to go in and automatically turn it on or manually turn it on to do it. Uh, and then once you do, you're, nobody in Linux runs as the root user for the most part. I mean, it's possible, but it's very rare. So what, even if you do, you don't have, um, access to do the stuff that viruses want to do. So, yes, there are some things that have been written. They're in a lab somewhere. They're even out there in the wild. But they don't do much, and they're hard to get. Mm-hmm. And it's such a small target face. Like we said, 1.11%. It's just, it's just not there. Now, the Mac world is seeing right now that they have become a big enough target. Now, they have some of the same difficulties. It's hard to infect a Mac. But uh, through clever social engineering, there, there are now several Mac viruses out there, worms that are, are doing their thing. And could that happen to Linux? Absolutely. At this point, no. It, but I'll, I'll touch that on that a little bit more. Um, yes, the core of Linux is safe, but you are running a web browser. So any exploits that would be triggering through Flash or Java, you are successful to. Um, just like if you also installed the thing called Wine, the Windows emulator, say a, say you're on Facebook and then one of those, you, you get tagged by one of those Java bugs that executes a Windows program to infect you. You mm-hmm. can see that infection start, but because it can't actually do anything to the Linux system because it doesn't know what it is, it'll just sit there and fail. Uh, the example I always bring up is my mom. She's a Linux user and was on Facebook and got the, the, or Bachache or whatever the stupid thing was called, Facebook spelled backwards, the Kobach worm or whatever it is, and it would it triggered Probably on her machine, but all it did all it did is pop open a box and it couldn't do anything else. So it was actually kind of funny to watch because it was constantly re-triggering itself over and over and over, but because it couldn't do anything other than open its own window, it just died. It was it was kind of funny to to watch. Now, I think it was just last week on this show, maybe two weeks ago, I took a writer to task for saying that Linux is, there are no viruses in Linux. That's a lie. That is a pure lie, and I hate it when people say that. However, it's really hard to get infected, and when you do get infected, they generally can't do much. So, you know, it's a very small attack vector, but it is there, and anybody who says there are no viruses is a liar. Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed uh, the couple times I tried to get into my root. Uh, that I had to put my password in to get in. Yep. That's why. It's like the Windows equivalent, Tom, is you're not, like most of the time when you're in XP or whatever, you're just in there running as admin, just going willy-nilly. But by default, when you go into Linux, you're not running with those kind of rights, and you have to intentionally give that right to do something every time you do it. Did I say that correctly, Chris and Mark? Yeah. Yeah, and, and Macs have worked like that forever, and Windows 7 works like that now. Even if you log in as the user administrator, there are still times when you have to click a button. It says this requires administrative rights. Right. Um, that's exactly what Linux is doing, only it goes one step farther and asks you for your password. I kind of like that feature. At first it was irritating, but now it's... <laughs> it's for your own good, Tom. We're protecting yeah. you. <laughs> it is. Anything else, what you, else got, you got, Tom? Yep. Um, actually, you guys have covered all the questions I've had, uh, all 10 of them. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's one way easy. Or another. I was, ex- I was oh, expecting wait. to sweat. 
Well, okay. I, I think wow. what I'd like to see is if Tom comes over the next week, comes up with some ideas, he could email those into me or to the show or the forums or whatever, and we could address those in a future episode and maybe during the warm up or the closeout, or if it brings up a good point, maybe make a show out of it or a part of a show. That's right. Aaron is the new representative. So nice. Very nice. However, there is one question that I didn't get answered yet. All right. Uh-oh. Uh, the terminal. Okay. Okay. Um, that's Chris's domain. Yeah. <laughs> he is the command line godfather. Exactly. Uh, is there a place I can go to learn how to properly use the terminal, uh, like a website or something you guys know of, before I go in there and I start typing in codes? Because I've tried a couple of times already, uh, once with the wireless card and once with the NVIDIA drivers, and that did not have success either way. Go back and listen was, to every episode of Everyday Linux because Chris always gives a command uh, tip at the end. <laughs> well, let me give you some backhanded advice. It doesn't answer this question, but might help you. From now on, when you set up Linux, when you're getting to that part where you're partitioning the drive, make mm-hmm. home its own partition. So, because all your stuff, like I said, home is that's your your user world. Okay, so if you make a whole separate partition for home, you can blast everything else and still have all your stuff. So that okay. makes that makes screwing up less of a pain. Okay, very good. That didn't uh, answer your I, question, but that's what I do <laughs> because I know I'm going to screw up. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think of. There really well, isn't a website that I know of off the top of my head that would help you learn. What I would do though is go on to go out to Amazon or your local bookstore and pick up um, the O'Reilly. Uh, what is it? The it's the pocket guide to the command line. Oh, and okay. It's good. Now I'm going to warn you. It's not a how-to. It's not going to walk you through. This is how you use the command line to do this. What it's good for, though, is you can actually find out. Like when you go to a website and see a command issued, you know they say, "Oh, put this in a terminal, and it'll fix whatever you're doing." The pocket reference guide is nice because you can open the pocket reference to that particular command and see what it's actually going to do. And then what I would suggest doing, if you really want to learn the terminal, is install VirtualBox. That way you can blow up your virtual, you can blow up your virtual machine all you want with, you know, if you flub a command or whatever, you can blow up your VirtualBox and you don't ruin your main system. Okay. That's for at least idea. for for learning purposes, um, and if you well, don't and, uh, mind spending a little bit of money, uh, let me find the game. There's a there's actually a game out there. Let me track it down real quick. That um, if I can remember the name of it, that it uses it's not true Linux commands, but it's close enough that you get the idea of how these things work. So like the CD is the com- you know change directory. Um, make dir is make directory. You know it, it gives you some of those basic commands that um, you know if you don't know what you're doing, you can at least play this game for a little bit. And I think they even give you a two level tutorial or two levels for free. Um, Aaron just while you're searching for that, Aaron just put something in the chat. Uh, Aaron, go ahead and put that in the show notes. We'll uh, publish that. It's a okay. life hacker article um, entitled. I've already moved to pay a command line a command primer line. for beginners. Um, oh, and so that's a that'll be a handy thing. I'm just looking through it. 
Um, and it is it is very similar, uh, very simple. It's it's just a primer, but yeah, it's a good thing. Uh, honestly, my my advice is be prepared to host stuff. You know, beating around. You know, it's like when you open the hood of the car and grab your wrench. You don't want to say, "Is there a book?" You know, you don't. You're not going to trust the book, even if you have it. You know, you're going to break something. You know, so right. just expect stuff to be broken. And you're a, you know, you build airplanes for a living. You, you, you're, <laughs> you're okay with that. Yeah, because uh, I went into the terminal and I did uh, the Dura command to see what was everything that was in there, uh, menu, LS, and even help to try and because you don't know, like old DOS six two two. A lot you, of those commands type. are familiar, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there was stuff in there that I didn't understand, like Suda or Pseudo or... Pseudo, yeah. Pseudo, yep. a, a song by Phil Collins. Pseudo is super <laughs> user do, all right? So when when we were talking about doing things as the administrator, that's the command line version of that. Ask you super user do. There's a, a yep. famous old uh, comic strip where a guy says... Make me a sandwich, and the guy says, "Make your own." Pseudo, make me a sandwich. Oh, okay. So that's that's, <laughs> that's how the pseudo command works. If if it doesn't work the first time, put pseudo in front of it, and it probably will. Okay, very good. Or use one of my old command line tips from I think two weeks ago, the bang bang pseudo, because then it it adds it. What what that does is it puts pseudo in front of the last command issued automatically. You don't even have to retype it. Oh, and the bang okay. bang would be exclamation points. So if you if you did something and it yelled at you, just two exclamation points and hit enter, and it well, pseudo after it. Right. Okay. So it'd be exclamation point, exclamation point, space, pseudo, and it'll automatically reissue that command with the pseudo in front of it. Because that's if you're too lazy to hit the up arrow and then backspace to the beginning <laughs> of the line. Right. Which most people are. <laughs> Well, cool. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to get that O'Reilly's and see if that'll help me at all. All right, gentlemen, that pretty much answers all my questions for cool. right now. <laughs> for right now. Not. So, do we actually do something useful today? I'm I'm really not accustomed to that. Typically, I know we, the show was fairly unbroken. Yeah. I'm I'm I don't know what to do. I feel typically, we strangely unsatisfied and, and complain a lot. <laughs> And don't really we pontificate, but don't actually do anything useful. I I don't quite know how to handle this. Was this a good yeah. thing, or did we just I alienate our base? A, I'm not sure. No, it was a very good thing. <laughs> um, uh, you've given me a number of suggestions that I'm going to go implement here shortly. <laughs> cool. I'm glad we're able to help. I have no idea how I'm going to write the show notes for this one, but uh, it'll just be, <laughs> listen to the show. That'll be the notes. <laughs> there you go. Very nice. There it. I found the game. I found it. It's oh. called Hacker Evolution, or or uh, Hacker Evolution: The Untold. They're from Brian Spencer. Um, I don't have his website off the top of my head here, um, but he has three different games out right now, and they're all on this hacker idea that you're a hacker doing something, and it, it uses the command line for the entire game. It's a puzzle game. Um. And it's, I love it. I, I, I played it. Is that a free long game ago? Chris? I've actually bought it. No, it is not. I think it's like $20. But there's like, there, there's like, I think 40 hours worth of game time on it for these you puzzles. You probably get some links. Got to hack it for you. 
I can get you a free version of it. Sorry, just kidding. It's They do give you, I think it's a level or two levels free. Oh, okay. So you can, it's a trial. So you can try it for two levels. And if you want to purchase it, you can buy it and they give you a key. And then you just keep playing. Chris, go ahead and put the link to that in the notes and I'll post that when I post the show. Okay. So the people know to get that if they're interested. I've got and it. And right like here. I said, I love the game. I've been um, a, I've been a really big fan of it. And he just turned over all his games into the Linux or Linux type of game or uh, Linux supported game, just uh, within the last couple of years. So he is Linux friendly. Yeah, excellent. It's Exos Exosiphon Studios is the yep, website that I found it. it on. E-X-O-S-Y-P-H-E, and I dropped it in the show notes already. I felt like I could at least do something. <laughs> then you beat me to it. All right, so Chris, do you have a command line of the week for us? No, I was lazy with my son's birthday. I didn't get one pulled up yet. I could probably find one if you guys really want one. Just make one up off the top of your head right now. Make up a command line. Nobody will know the difference because <laughs> nobody actually checks these things. <laughs> well, how about to. I just rehash the last one I used? Since you're a Ubuntu user... Something that you'll get, you'll uh, want to be able to use every once in a while because the software manager can get stuck in Ubuntu is sudo apt-get update. And then a similar one would be sudo apt-get upgrade. That's apt-get, apt-get. Yep. Thank you, Mark. I was just going to say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what that it's does easy for you to say that is, now. Yeah. The, the software center uses apt-get in order to do its work anyway. So what you're doing is taking the command or the GUI interface off to use the tool. Oh, so with a sudo, you could force it to get you what you're looking for. Well, if it's there, but like, let's say um, your update gets stuck. I've seen that a number of times where like you tell it to do an update and it sits there and just cranks and cranks and cranks, but it never actually finishes the update task. Well, you can reboot the machine, load it up and say sudo in a terminal and go sudo app get upgrade. And it'll force it because that interface isn't in the way it'll actually finish the upgrade process. And it you wouldn't go ahead and do, do it automatically. Up. I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't have to do it. You probably wouldn't have to do it again until it gets stuck again. Um, but I've seen it now, oh, five, six times since I've been playing with Ubuntu. And I don't know what causes it to stick, but, you know, maybe a bad package downloaded. Um, something didn't make the checksum properly. Uh, but it just, once I forced it, that fixed it. And because I know Garrett is out there right now yelling at his MP3 playing device, I will say it's Ubuntu. Same <laughs> same vowel in all three places, not Ubuntu. Well, you know what? He can come on the show and yell at me all he wants because I'm going to keep saying Ubuntu. So, But you don't want to lead our noob astray. All right? All right. And anyway, dump... Dump Ubuntu and just go Linux Mint, and you'll be much happier. <laughs> I actually okay. I agree with that assessment. Mint is again, like we like I said earlier, it's Ubuntu with extra stuff, uh, and that's that's what I would recommend anybody go to right now is Mint. Okay. Well, Mark, so I, the next time you hose your system, just go ahead and put Mint on it. There you go. <laughs> well, you I think I might. <laughs> 
Aaron, you have a, Aaron, a, you were going to say I have a, I have a, uh, a, a, a somewhat almost on topic, but not really at all. Um, new tip. This is actually something you guys, because we're all kind of nerdy, geeky, smart kind of people who like the same kind of things, guys on here. Anybody that's listening to this show has some level of geekdom in them. Uh, I was directed to this uh, website. Actually, everybody out there may already know this, but I just want to throw it out there because it's new to me. LastExitToNowhere.com. Um, everybody, that if you're sitting at a computer right now, pull up last, LastExitToNowhere.com. And then I would recommend clicking on Regular Fit over on the left and Science Fiction. And what it is, it's cleverly, Chris's shirt made me actually think of this. It's cleverly done t-shirts that have sci-fi, comedy, nerdy things that are done in such a way. Like one of them is Vinkman Stank Spangler, Paranormal Studies, which are the three guys from Ghostbuster, obviously. There's a, there's a, um, uh, Isla Nubla Research Team 93, which is Jurassic Park. Uh, my favorite one though is the Bill Bixby. I don't know if you guys are looking at this, but if you do that, if you can go to regular fit, uh, sci-fi, click on it. The third one from the top is Bill Bixby, um, from the original Hulk in the Obama, Obama-esque poster, poster. He's half green and it says change underneath it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's awesome. So, uh, and there's one for total recall and there's lots of, there's comedy ones. There's a, um, there's a polymer records mark. This nice. is where you can get your Polymer Records t-shirt. Marty Fufkin, Polymer Records. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's really clever stuff. Um, and a lot of it's just, it, they're good looking shirts, but then they're, they're obscure enough that the nerds will get it and laugh. Geeks will get it and laugh, but other people won't have any idea what it is. Like there's, in, which is one very apropos right now. There's a U.S. Antarctica research program, Outpost number 31. Um, you know, cause we just did a remake of the thing and that's the name of the outpost in that show. So, anyway. so if you weren't already isolated enough in your social <laughs> circles, <laughs> this is a good opportunity to make sure that nobody sits with you at the lunch table. Actually, Skynet, sweet. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> I had a shirt when I was a kid that nobody got, and I had to explain it thousands of times. But it said 1985. Orwell was wrong. <laughs> and, Not well, readers well, out there. Yeah, as a middle school child, I got tired of explaining what that shirt meant. Well, the, the Big Bang Theory is kind of the icon of paragon of nerddom right now, you know. And there's an episode where they go to a Halloween party, and Sheldon is dressed up as the Doppler effect. He's got like <laughs> he's red on one side and blue on the other. Well, he's got a dot in the middle, and then he has. Uh, thickening and widening lines that move further away from each other as it goes out. And, and people go, who are you? And he goes, let me give you a hint. That's what he keeps doing. <laughs> I have no idea. Are you a zebra? No, I'm the Doppler effect. You know, it was great. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I actually want to get a shirt from uh, the game Portal. Uh, the uh, computer that was in there. They, they have those shirts. Glados, yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else, uh, uh, Tom? Do you have a, a anything else to add? Maybe a tip that you've gleaned in your uh, first week or so with Linux that you'd like to share with other noobs out there? Yes. Uh, make sure you have working hardware before you try your first install. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's great. And I will give a tip that I have given before: never, ever, ever, ever install beta releases of new distributions on production machines. Just don't do it. Oh, oh my word. They have a Jack Burton trucking cap from Big Trouble in Little China. 
Oh, really? He is gone for the rest of the show. Sorry. Last exit to nowhere. Okay, I, but this show is, is nearing epic lengths, so I'm going to wrap it up here and say that if you want to find more craziness like this, if you want to post a question or a comment for the panel, uh, you can do that at elementop.com in our forums. Uh, you can uh, send us an email. That's EDL for Everyday Linux at elementop.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, Element OP. Uh, or you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on our next show. And that number would be 559 O P I E. Or you can go to, go to our website, elementop.com, and there's a leave us a voicemail. I changed the name of it because it, was, yes. it wasn't clear. Leave us a voicemail uh, widget on the right-hand side of the page where you can simply enter your phone number. Google Voice will call you, and you can uh, leave us a voicemail, and we will put it on there, even if it's just calling us all idiots. That's fine. We'll put that on. We're that hungry for feedback. And uh, guys, I will, I'll come out uh, and, and say it point blank. We're at episode 23 right now. We've done this for several months. We're, what is that, six months now? And uh, we're out. We're done. We're struggling for ideas. We need your input. If you have questions, if you have comments, uh, let us know. Because every week, uh, we, do, we record this every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. And every Sunday night at about 6 p.m. Central Time, we're all going, um, anybody got any ideas for a show this week? So, yeah, without the feedback, we don't know what you need to know. Right. We don't know what you like, what you don't like, and uh, we're probably just going to sit around and talk about nose hair the next episode. So, uh, we <laughs> or need if I'm feedback. wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> the that, world may never know. That's been discussed more than it should have been already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. But any the other... answer's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out there, Mulder. I What's think it's time to say goodnight, Charlie. <laughs> that would be Guinness. Guinness. All right. It's a nice stout. See, we told like you said, you were Canadian. But like I was saying, um, the stout I had at the, the local brewery beats the pants off this one. See, it goes right. It's a the theme with you, again. Chris. Everything's about losing your pants. <laughs> I don't know right what's going on with you. <laughs> You're living too close to Canada is what it is. Tom, thanks for being with us, for putting up with the insanity that is Everyday Linux. And uh, on behalf of our hosts and our guests, I will say that concludes this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.